It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Cougars. This is your daily podcast. Focus on the BYU Cougars. Thank you for joining us on a Tuesday edition of the show. A lot to get to like usual. We're going to get to an opponent preview today on the podcast. Going to be joined by BJ Reigns from the Idaho Press Tribune. Had a great conversation with him about Boise State, what the Broncos are bringing back, and what they're expected to feature this coming year as BYU and the Cougars continue their long-running rivalry up there at Albertson Stadium. We'll talk with him. We'll also get to our player countdown series, the best Cougar to have worn the number 65. Four offensive linemen enter. Who will reign supreme amongst the best offensive linemen in BYU football history? We'll talk about that as well as on today's show. And some good news with regards to BYU football media day coming out yesterday as well. So a lot to get to on today's edition of the podcast and is brought to you by our good friends, new friends of the podcast at Biomat USA in Orem. We'll tell you about what they're offering our listeners here in just a second. So with all that out of the way, let's get to it here. This is the Locked on Cougars podcast for June 30th, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for taking the time to download your original daily podcast, focused on the BYU Cougars, with us here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. A lot to get to on a Tuesday, so let's kick off the show today actually talking about some good news with regards to the upcoming season, and that is that BYU Football Media Day, which was actually supposed to be happening last week, I believe it was the 24th is when it was scheduled if I recall correctly, or what the preliminary schedule that BYU Sports Information had told us in the media it would be was June 24th. Well, there's going to be almost about a month later when they finally do hold it. And according to Brett Pine from BYU Sports Information, BYU's Football Media Day will be July 20th, a Monday, and it sounds like it'll be pretty much an all-virtual affair. So get ready for it, folks. I think there'll be a lot of live chats online. The media, obviously, will probably be doing Zoom teleconferences when we talk with players and coaches, etc. Still a fun time to have Media Day, and it appears that BYU is pushing on, and that's the exciting part of what we're going on here. We are 65 days away from BYU and Utah kicking off the season as they square off up there at Rice Cycles Stadium. As I've said in the past, I understand there are a bunch of concerns with the COVID-19 pandemic. We can all do our part to make sure that we have sports coming back into our lives, but I'm also looking forward and expecting an on-time uh, beginning for college football this fall. I know there's a lot of doomsday prophesying going on out there saying that two months isn't enough time for college football to happen. I can tell you this much, guys. If college football doesn't happen this fall, it's going to absolutely rock some athletic department's world. And you might see some go under just because they cannot afford to not have a football season and they need as much money as they possibly can gather as soon as possible. So I think that the sport itself is going to do everything under the sun to make sure that their football season happens as close to on time, if not on time. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to and expecting from this upcoming season. So 65 days away from today, uh, well, that's 20 days away from BYU Football Media Day. 
Exciting times, folks. July is on the horizon. Tomorrow marks July 1st. Independence Day is this Saturday. It's an exciting time, guys. It means football is on its way, and I couldn't be more excited. So a big thank you once again for joining us as we talk BYU sports each and every day here on the show. Let's get to our player countdown series before we get to our featured interview with B.J. Reigns from the Idaho Press Tribune. And today, number 65 is an offensive line number that has some great players who have worn this number in BYU history. The four finalists we put up on our Twitter feed, and you can follow us at Cougars and vote on these polls each and every day. I've actually put out the polls for the entire week this week, if, I'm, if I recall correctly. So you actually can go vote right now and vote for the entire week's worth of players, your favorite former Cougar for that respective number, as we count you down towards BYU and Utah. So our finalists on today's list were former BYU offensive line standout Ben Archibald, Lloyd Fairbanks, who went on to a legendary career in the Canadian Football League, I think 17 years playing up there in the CFL, was all CFL five times during his lengthy career. Dallas Reynolds, another standout lineman for the Cougars, then went on to play for both the Eagles and the Giants, if I'm not mistaken, in the NFL, had a good NFL career. And then uh, Ken Smith, a defensive lineman for BYU, had a standout career as a Cougar as well. So this is a pretty stellar group of talented offensive linemen and defensive linemen and Ken Smith. But I think all of them bring their own, I guess, unique set of skills, etc. And the sad part about this is, is according to the votes I'm seeing, Lloyd Fairbanks is getting very few votes. I think just under 1% of the votes going his way. And for a guy who went on to a 17-year NFL, uh, not NFL, CFL career, was all CFL uh, five different times during his career up there in the CFL, I don't think he's necessarily getting the due that is probably afforded to him for what he did in a BYU uniform. Uh, He was an all-conference performer for the Cougars in 1974, so he played a, a long time ago. There's no doubt about that. He played right during the early part of Lavelle Edwards' tenure, but what he did in the CFL cannot be overlooked. Ben Archibald getting a lot of votes in this poll, uh, coming in in second place currently with just over 16%, and Archibald is a guy, had he played his senior year and been healthy for the Cougars, he might have won this poll. Many of you may not remember Archibald because what happened was he was an all-conference selection as a junior, and coming back for his senior year in a BYU uniform, he was being projected as high as a first-round draft pick in the NFL in the in the next NFL draft. I'm telling you guys, he was thought of as highly as many offensive linemen that have gone very highly in the draft for BYU in terms of the prognosticators, the NFL draft analysts, etc. I remember reading all of the hype thinking, you know what? They've got another franchise left tackle lining up for him, and they're, he's going to be absolutely phenomenal. And then disaster struck. During fall camp, he broke his leg. It was a compound fracture, if I recall correctly, just 13 days before the season began. Uh, It was just a devastating injury. And it ended effectively ended his opportunity to play in the NFL, I felt like. Uh, he went on to play in the NFL for five seasons, but not nearly the type of player that he was being projected to be. And who knows if he stays healthy, if he ultimately pans out that way. But a compound fracture for an offensive lineman and a tackle at that, that's rely on a plant leg when you're in pass pro, etc. It's tough to regain that strength and that confidence in that leg. But then he went on to play in the NFL Europe for a time and also in the Canadian Football League. He was named the CFL's best offensive offensive lineman in 2010. I recall if he was playing for the Calgary Stampeders at that point, it might have been the uh, BC Lions. So UCFL honks out there. Feel free to correct me on which one. I think it might have been BC Lions now that I think about it. But Ben Archibald, 
I think if he would have had a healthy senior year for BYU, he might have won this poll. But our winner today, and I have a hard time disagreeing with it, is Dallas Reynolds. He was an AP All-American Honorable Mention Offensive Lineman in 2008, a two-time All-Mountain West Conference honoree, uh, just was a fantastic player. Uh, he played at two different positions, earning those All-Mountain West Conference honors, one coming as a tackle, the other coming as a center. He then went on to play in the NFL as both a guard and a center for the Eagles and the Giants. He started 50 games. Played 50 games, excuse me, not started all 50 games. Played in 50 games as a Cougar, and I loved watching Dallas Reynolds play. He had an edge to him. He was a chip off the old block, and he has had the most accomplished NFL career of all of his brothers. Obviously, you have Lance Jr., uh, Houston Reynolds, and also Matt Reynolds, who all played at BYU. But Dallas, in terms of the pro game, had the most accomplished career going on to playing professional football. And I thought he was one of the best offensive linemen BYU has seen, if not. during his era especially. I think he was overlooked a little bit by BYU fans, but what he did in the NFL as well as his time at BYU cannot be overlooked. And I think the fan vote reflected that. Uh, The fan vote in favor of Dallas Reynolds to the tune of just over 80% of the vote. And just a little while to go here on that poll, but I think it's a fair pick. I, I think that Dallas Reynolds... Easy selection today is the best Cougar to have worn the number 65. Like I said, had Ben Archibald stayed healthy for a senior senior year in a BYU uniform, it's probably a different conversation, but that's the name of the game sometimes. You've got to stay healthy and, and show what you can do, and it's unfortunate because, like I said, Ben Archibald was being just lauded for his abilities, and when you have a broken leg like he suffered in fall camp, devastating fall but I think he still had a good career to a large degree I believe he still lives up in the Pacific Northwest and like I said he played football for a considerably long time after suffering such a devastating leg injury but it just wasn't at the same level as we all expected as he headed into that senior year at BYU so there you go Dallas Reynolds our honoree today is the best player to wear the number 65 in a BYU uniform. All right, coming up here in just a second. Like I said, I had a chance to catch up with BJ Reigns, a good friend of the podcast, covers Boise State Athletics for the Idaho Press Tribune. How is Boise State going to look as BYU gets ready to face them on November 6th, this coming year at, at Albertson Stadium up there in Boise, Idaho? We'll get to that here in just a second. Before we do that, though, we've got a new partner on the podcast, and those are good friends at Biomat USA. Biomat USA is a plasma donation center in Orem that needs your guys' donations more than ever right now. Biomat, as well as their parent company, Griffles, are on the forefront of looking into how convalescent plasma actually can help fight off the COVID-19 virus. Right now, people who have what they call a convalescent plasma, which is people who have had COVID-19, whether you know it or not, they want your plasma because it has antibodies in it that they are using, hopefully, to develop a vaccine and hopefully prevent millions of us from getting this virus, if at all possible. COVID-19 has dominated headlines for months now, obviously, to shut down sports, but Biomat USA needs your guys' donations. And if you guys feel like you either had COVID-19, you know you had it, you were tested for it and you tested positive, or if you think you might have had it, you can stop by and they can get you rolling on donating your plasma and hopefully it has the antibodies that they are looking for. If you guys would like to find out more about that, you can go to grifflesplasma.com slash en slash endcv19. You can fill out a convalescent plasma donation form there. The parent company Griffles of Biomat USA will contact you to get the process rolling with the convalescent plasma deal. But more importantly, they need plasma donations for everyday treatments for multiple different maladies. That's what 
Biomat does is they don't just focus simply on COVID-19. They actually are in need of just everyday donations for plasma because it helps out fellow your fellow man by giving them all kinds of different life-saving treatments it goes into different medicines and they need your plasma donations and the best part is biomat will pay you for your donations so it's a win-win you help and you help save some lives hopefully you're also getting some money to put into your pocket it's a win-win scenario for all parties involved feel free to stop by biomat usa they're located at 349 east university parkway in orem they're right across the street from university mall in texas roadhouse right next door to the sizzler there you know exactly what i'm talking about big five sporting goods is right there in the vicinity if i'm not mistaken milo board sport if it's still there is also there you know exactly where i'm talking about stop by find out how you can help you also can call them. Biomat's phone number is 801-235-9800. Be happy to help you guys. They have openings all day long from early mornings. I believe they're open as early as 530 a.m. and open until 830 p.m. so they can fit with your schedule regardless of whenever you have a chance to stop by. I would encourage you guys to go visit our friends at Biomat, donate your plasma, help out your fellow man, and get some cash in your pocket as a result of your donation. That's our good friends at Biomat USA, 349 East, University Parkway in Orem and their phone number 801-235-9800. That's Biomat USA and Griffles, proud partners with us here on Locked on Cougars. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA. And now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. All right, guys, our opponent preview series continues now. Had a chance to catch up with BJ Range from the Idaho Press Tribune. He covers the Boise State Broncos. BYU and Boise State scheduled to kick things off in their long-running rivalry series on November 6th up there at Albertson Stadium. What is Boise State bringing back this coming year? Are they expected to contend once again in the Mountain West Conference? Well, I had a chance to catch up with BJ Reigns and talk about that. So here you go. BJ Reigns from the Idaho Press Tribune with myself right here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. BJ, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the podcast. No problem, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Let's start here. Obviously, some news this past week uh, from Boise State University. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting college athletics just like it's affecting the rest of the sports world. Boise State a little more of a unique situation where they decided to close all campus facilities for at least a week, and it sounds like that may be extended out a little bit further. How is everything going up there in the city of trees? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, they, they did announce that there was uh, eight positive tests on campus. Uh, they were closing the – that was on a Monday. They were going to close the facilities through the end of the week. And then uh, later in the week, they said there were 20 more positive tests and that they were going to keep it closed through the end of the following week, so through 4th of July. And it will open up uh, on the following Monday, the 6th, I guess it is. Um, but it's just been uh, interesting because they're not really being very transparent on whether or not the test came in athletics whether or not they were on campus. There was a rumor it was just construction workers on the other side of campus. It had nothing to do with the athletic department. So a lot of the headlines, you know, from the Brett McMurphy's of the world and everybody else is, oh, they're closing down camp, they're closing down, you know, workouts and halting workouts because of the COVID outbreak. But it, you know, really wasn't much of a to do with the athletic department. It was just a campus-wide thing where they closed down campus and the athletic 
uh, voluntary workouts had to stop. But uh, to this point, Boise State Athletics has had about 250 tests uh, of student athletes, staff, and coaches, and they've only had four positive tests. So um, the outbreak uh, the last two weeks that caused the, cl- the, the shutdown uh, was not uh, related to the athletic department. It was it was more uh, you know related to the campus. But um, you know they're doing what they're told, and hopefully they can get back on. July 6th, and then uh, start to get into that kind of OTA type thing uh, before uh, training camp is supposed to start on August 7th. Well, that's positive news, obviously. Uh, the low amount of positive tests, and you hope that holds true for Boise State. Um, with the football program in particular, obviously they were doing voluntary workouts. You mentioned the fact that those so-called OTA workouts will be coming up shortly after they're supposed to get back into the facilities. Have there been many reports out of the workouts and how players are taking to them or how the team looks? No, they really haven't given us much, to be honest. Uh, we haven't really, uh, you know, we're going to talk to some basketball players actually on Wednesday, and that's going to be the first time any student athletes will be made available uh, since uh, they, any of the people, uh, players return to campus. So um, it's uh, just crazy time up here. And um, I know they were trying to do the workouts in small groups, trying to socially distance, trying to group guys by, uh, you know, roommates and things like that, guys that live together in case somebody would come down with it, it'd be easier to quarantine them and things like that. Um, but, um, you know, the, the football team was back and they were working out and they're obviously trying to get ready for a season, but we haven't been able to talk to any of the athletes specifically to find out their thoughts on this. But, uh, I think we're hopefully going to get to do that here in the next couple of weeks once things uh, get going a little bit more. Let's talk about this team a little bit. On offense, we'll start there. Obviously, the, the for most college football programs, Boise State's no different. Uh, quarterback really seems to grab the headlines. And last year, they played a number of guys. Hank Bachmeyer having a sensational freshman campaign when he was healthy. But they also bring in a guy like Jack Sears this year as a graduate transfer to join the mix there at quarterback. What is uh, what are Brian Harson and Eric Kesaw thinking they're going to do at quarterback? Do you feel like? Yeah, very unique situation where you, you have a you know a guy that started as a true freshman and passed for over 400 yards and led you to a win at Florida State in his first ever game, uh, wins his first you know six starts and then uh, you know has a, an injury and they lose the the game against BYU when he didn't start his first start that he missed they lose and then um, they don't lose another game until the bowl game and and uh, he was seven and one as a starter he came back to start that bowl game but it missed like five games in a row with an injury so. Um, it was a very unique situation. They ended up playing three quarterbacks last year. Their third string quarterback actually won like four games for them. A lot of people had wished, you know, that he had started the bowl game instead of Bachmeyer. So um, Bachmeyer, you know, w- would seem to be entrenched as a starter. Um, his problem is just having to stay healthy. He's not a guy that likes to, to slide or give himself up, you know, when he's running, doesn't like to run out of bounds. And so he's got to just change his style a little bit. He likes to stay in the pocket and let plays develop a little longer than like a Brett Rippon would. And so he just, uh, you know, is susceptible to the big hits. And so they got to try to keep him uh, healthier and keep him upright more. So they got to work on his style in terms of giving himself up, sliding a little more when he runs, um, not hanging in the pocket for so long. So, um, I mean, he, he plays like he did last year. Jack uh, Sears and Chase Cord will both see a lot of action because he'll be on the bench injured again. So, um, you know, they're hoping he can stay healthy and change his game a little bit. But I think, uh, you know, Chase Cord's going to have a role in terms of a mobile quarterback uh, in some option packages, and they'll use him in there when they need to. But I don't think Jack Sears uh, transferred from USC to sit the bench. So um, whatever they told him in terms of competition – Maybe going to give him a chance to try to win the job. I don't know, but uh, very unique to have you know three quarterbacks who some are saying you know maybe three of the 
four or five top quarterbacks in the whole Mountain West now are at yeah. Boise State, which is pretty crazy to, to think that that's even possible. But uh, I think that they're going to work it out, but it wouldn't shock me at all to see all three of them get on the field in some capacity this fall. Obviously, offensive line takes a big role in keeping quarterbacks upright and healthy, but Boise State's replacing four of their starters. Uh, how are they going to go about doing that? Do they have guys that have kind of uh, ridden, uh, I guess, bidden their time, been waiting in the wings, or do they are they starting over there? Oh, it's a huge concern for them. They've got uh, John Ojuku, the only returning starter, uh, goes, but he's going to move from right tackle over to left tackle uh, to replace Ezra Cleveland. But mm-hmm. um, they've only got uh, – you know, five combined starts from the rest of the line. Um, and, and so, and that's two guys that each started one game last year and one guy, Jake Stetz, that started two. So they're going to be very inexperienced uh, on the line and um, that's a huge concern for them. But, um, you know, they've been, uh, you know, multi-year starters the last couple of years with huge expectations and frankly kind of didn't live up to those for, for good chunks of the year. I mean, the two left side of the line guys are both playing in the NFL uh, this year, and one of them was a second-round pick. So, um, and they had high expectations and kind of struggled. So, some people are saying maybe the fact that not many people are going to be expecting much out of the line this year, it's you know would seemingly be a, an area of concern going into the year. Um, maybe the the turn of uh, you know fortunes and not having all the pressure on them this year and the expectations will help them uh, play a little better. But um, yeah, very inexperienced. Um, you know, they're confident the guys are ready and that they were waiting in the wings, but. Um, you know, when you replace guys that have 40 plus starts with guys that have zero or one, um, you know, there's a little bit of a unknown and uncertainty there. And, uh, it's, you know, gonna, we're going to have to see how quickly that group can gel because you played, you know, first four games are pretty tough. And then you got, you know, at Air Force in week two and Florida State coming here in week three. I mean, they're going to have to grow up uh, pretty quickly along the line. That's that's a area of, you know, concern slash question mark uh, for maybe, one, maybe the biggest on the team going into the season. Obviously, on the uh, on the inside, they also have the running back position, but it looks like that's pretty well established. George Halani went for a thousand yards as a freshman a year ago, living up to the billing as a four star prospect. Robert Mahone also flanking him. Are they expected to have that two headed monster once again at running back? Yeah, I mean, I think George Halani is clearly the number one guy. I mean, he came out of nowhere and rushed for a thousand yards. I mean, started the year number three on the depth chart as a true freshman, but uh, due to some fumbles and some injuries to the other guys, got his chance and. In that Florida State game, ended up rushing for 70 yards and then had 100 yards the next game and kind of off he went. Uh, and quickly went from number three to number two and then to number one. And so I think George Helani is uh, clearly the, the top guy going into the year. And, you know, they've had a thousand yard rusher for 11 straight seasons or whatever it is, the longest active streak in the country. And I think you'd feel pretty good about thinking he'll get there again this year. Um, you know, uh, Robert Mahone is a senior behind him and probably, you know, is, is going to want to make some some hay as a senior and do something. And so I would think he's a guy that could potentially, uh, you know, show some improvement. And, you know, but Andrew Van Buren was a guy that is a true freshman, uh, played pretty well two years ago. They expected him to be the, maybe the starter going into the season and it just never developed and he really struggled last year. So they still feel he's got a lot of untapped potential as well. That's the three guys they feel pretty good about. And then they actually signed a junior college running back transfer too. Uh, from Texas. So they've got four guys there that they feel pretty good about, but I think uh, George Alani is going to be the clear number one and get the, the lion's share of the carries. And uh, if he can stay healthy, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't get back over that thousand yard mark again. Looking at the receivers, uh, Khalil Shakir had a breakout campaign last year, but they've also got some guys like Octavius Evans and CT Thomas back as seniors. It appears that Bachmeyer, whoever's at quarterback will have plenty of weapons to throw it to. Yeah, clearly the top two guys, clearly Shakir and Thomas, both those guys, uh, 
you know, will be two of the better wide receivers in the Mountain West. Uh, Shakir is a, a junior this year that, uh, you know, Boise State has had an early entry into the NFL draft, and I think six or seven straight years now they've had a guy leave early. And a lot of people are saying that if Khalil Shakir has a big year, maybe he's the guy this year that uh, extends the streak and leaves, you know, after his junior year. He's not the biggest receiver out there, but he's just very versatile, very skilled. Um, had a had a big breakout year last year. C.T. Thomas, another guy they feel really confident about. He's a you know very versatile receiver with good hands. And so those two guys, as junior and senior, they feel really good about. Evans has dealt with some injuries, had a ton of potential, never really lived up to it. But he's you know a a big you know six two guy, a physical guy that they feel good about. Uh, you know in the red zone, if he can stay healthy, they think he could have a big a big year. And then they've got a lot of youngsters they like, Steph Cobbs and. Uh, a lot of other guys, they feel really well, you know, really good about uh, Billy Bowen. So, um, you know, the, the Eric Keesaw, who was the wide receivers coach, has now moved to offensive coordinator. They brought back Matt Miller, uh, who's the all-time leader in receptions in the program, was coaching at Montana State. He came back as a wide receivers coach this year. And so um, probably not having spring ball hurt that group a little bit because, you know, guys like Evans and Cobbs and Bowen and some of these guys, Shea Whiting, could have got a lot of extra reps um, and got to work with Matt Miller. But, um, they feel pretty good about the receiving core. They've got the, the top three they feel really good about, and then uh, they feel like there's some depth behind them as well, uh, you know, if guys go down. All right, we will have more from B.J. Reigns from the Idaho Press Tribune here in just a moment. Talk more about the defense and also that series against BYU. How does Boise State view it currently? We'll talk about all of that and more here in just a second. Before we do that, though, guys, the Locked On Podcast Network is standing against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, myself included, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, today's the last day to do this, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000, guys. We're putting the money where our mouth is and our network is doing the exact same thing. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. The NCAA tournament is almost here and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get to part two of my conversation with BJ Reigns to talk more about the defense for what Boise State has got returning there and a little bit more on what they're doing as they get ready to face off against the Cougars this November. How does Boise State see this game? We'll get to all of that here right now on the Locked On Cougars podcast. We talked about the offensive line needing to essentially restart. I said a number of guys that don't have starts along that. The defensive line for Boise State also appears to have been turned over here. Are they more experienced there on the defensive line than they are on the offensive line, or is it more of the same? No, it's not the same. It's worse. Okay. Uh, they've got uh, – yeah, they, they have uh, one guy, Scaly Gahan, who's coming back uh, at uh, the nose tackle position. They, well, they lose all four starters. They mm-hmm. lose all four starters if you count Curtis Weaver at stud position, but they lose their two interior guys, and they lose Chase Atai to their defensive end. They bring back one guy, Scaly Gahan, who uh, I think made two starts filling in when there was an injury and was a key backup. Um, but he had like 35 tackles or something last year. The rest of the returning defensive line had three tackles uh, other than him the entire season. So they've got 
uh, you know, two local kids uh, that are, you know, have a chance to, to start that had, you know, one tackle last year combined. Their defensive end that they could start had no tackles, I believe, and was like a has been battling injuries the last couple of years. I mean, they, they added a Utah transfer, Jackson Cravens, they feel pretty good about. He redshirted last year. He's probably going to come in and have a big role. They also beefed up uh, the D-line uh, through the JUCO ranks. They added a two JUCO uh, defensive linemen, a D-end, and a, and a guy on the inside, actually both from the same junior college in California. So um, they're, they're you know having to go the transfer route to try, try to – bulk up this D-line because they, they, uh, it's a really young and experienced group. But at the stud position, they do feel pretty good. Um, you know, they've got a guy, Dimitri Washington, that they feel can come in. And you know, Curtis Weaver was a fifth-round pick, was an on-west defensive player of the year. Uh, you know, with what he did, the all-time on-west sacks leader with 34. So they feel pretty good about uh, you know, this guy, uh, Dimitri Washington, who had four-and-a-half sacks last year as a backup. Now that he's going to get a chance to start as a redshirt sophomore, they they, uh, they're hinting there's good things to come from him, but I think the other three spots, the two tackles and the, and the DN spot, are going to be uh, big, big question marks for them in terms of who's going to win those spots going into the year. You mentioned Curtis Weaver, those 34 career sacks. Are they going to have to replace that production by committee, essentially? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I don't think you can expect, uh, you know, as I mentioned, a guy uh, you know, that barely played last year to come in and get, you know, uh, double-digit sacks in his first year as a starter. So I think there's going to have to be a lot of guys step up with the whole front seven, frankly. The linebackers are going to have to do a little more. But they're going to have to get uh, you know the other guys to, to step up, as I said. I mean, you're talking about losing four uh, veteran multi-year starters on that defensive line up front. So they lost a lot of experience there. And, um, you know, that's a position where they really could have used spring ball. They only got three spring practices in before things were uh, closed down for the pandemic. So they could have uh, really used spring practice to get those young guys some reps. Um, but uh, they, you know, they, they they know that the standard is what it is. And defensive line coach Spencer Danielson saying that's not going to change, even though they lost a lot of those guys. So they're confident that they'll be able to kind of piece the group together and maybe still have the, the overall production. It might just be spread out a little more. The nice part is it appears that they have two linebackers coming back. The guys I enjoy watching, Ezekiel Noah and also Riley Wimpy, two guys that I thought were standout linebackers. That should help settle that uh, young defensive line you would hope, I would expect. Yeah, Riley Wimpy is you know, from the, the Utah area and yeah. went on a mission and had, had uh, you know two brothers that played for Utah State. And so you know, he's got some history there in Utah. And, um, you know, he had a torn ACL but came back last year and, um, really got better as the year went on. By the end of the year, you know, he was their, their best player and ended up leading the team in tackles. Zeke Noah is a guy that has a lot of talent, but he's battled injuries himself. He suffered a torn ACL and a broken wrist in the same game last year. Um, and so, uh, you know, they're going to get those two guys back. But they, they also had, uh, you know, a couple of former walk-ons that earned scholarships, Benton Wickersham, Bruno DeRose, mm-hmm. that both uh, stepped up and got a lot of playing time because of the injuries to those guys the last couple of years. And they're also really excited. They got a grad transfer, uh, you know, Bra- Brock Miller, a grad transfer from North Carolina State. Uh, you know, you get a Power 5 grad transfer linebacker who started 11 games for them last year so. Um, you know, he, he's making, you know, tackles against Clemson and things like that and playing in you know, the ACC um, to, to get him to want to spend his last year at Boise State. They feel pretty good about him fitting into the mix as well. So they feel like they have five pretty good linebackers for, for two or three spots, depending on how they line up. And, and uh, I think the lineback, lineback, linebacking unit could be a strength for the team this year. 
In the secondary, Kikala Kaniho. Did I get that right? Is it, did I pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, right? close enough. So he he's one of the guys I also enjoyed watching. I've watched a fair amount of Boise State living in the area, obviously. But I look at that secondary, and it looks like they have a mixture of both experience coming back, but also a lot of exciting young young talent. Am I, am I right in that assessment? Yeah, Kaniho was, uh, you know, first team all Mountain West last year. He had like 11 tackles for loss as a nickelback, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, also, I think tied for the team lead in interceptions as well. He's just a ball hawk. He, uh, you know, had like seven defensive touchdowns his senior year of high school. And then I think he had three his first two years uh, at Boise State. So whether it be pick sixes or fumble returns or what, he just has a, a knack for the end zone. And he's, you know, they lost uh, Kekoa Nawahine. He was a senior at safety and graduated. And then DeAndre Pierce uh, was a safety that had been injured some, hadn't played a ton, but he was a starter. Uh, he transferred to go play for his dad at Arizona State uh, for his last year. And so they lost, you know, two senior uh, veteran guys there in the back end. And so Canijo is definitely going to be the, the leader of the, the, the back end at, at Nickel um, and can play some safety also. But they've got a lot of young guys that due to the injury to Pierce had to play a lot and due to the injuries at times to Nawahine. So, they got a young guy, J.L. Skinner, who's a sophomore that they really like. What he did as a true freshman last year, Evan Tyler. They've got some other guys. Uh, uh, Jordan Happel is a guy that uh, you know has done some things. So they, again, it's going to be you know to, to guess the two starters at this point would be really tough. But they think between the four or five options they have that uh, they'll be able to rotate and keep guys fresh, and they feel you know pretty good about that secondary. But at this point, the you know who ends up getting the most playing time, uh, I think, still remains to be seen. All right, correct me if I'm wrong here, BJ, but last year Boise State's kicker was a transfer from Wagner. Am I right about that? Uh, I think last year, let's see, they've had it's three years in a row. Yeah. Last year was a, tri- was a Trinity College, I Trinity believe. Trinity College, right. The, Trinity, yes. Yeah, correct. Division three, I believe. And the year before that, they had a transfer from, uh, oh, where did he come from? Another really small, random school in, in the East Coast. It's a, This will be the third year in a row that they've done that, where they've brought in a, a one-year guy like that. Yeah, so it's, uh, Johnny crazy. Messina this year from Stetson, right? Yep, yep, yep. And he's coming from Stetson. Uh you know, had a couple game-winning kicks down there at Stetson and, and uh, performed pretty well and kind of wanted a different challenge and a step up for his last year. And Boise State was looking for a, a kicker this year. And he actually, uh, when I talked to him, he, he remembered watching the Florida State game from being down there in Stetson, you know, which is outside yeah. of Orlando. Uh, you know, he remembered watching the Florida State game against Boise State and seeing this Eric Sachs make five field goals and uh, they, you know, five for five. And, and they were telling his story about being from – whatever college he was from, a small college. And uh, he kind of thought at the time, he's like, well, what, you know, that's pretty cool. Why can't that be me? And uh, that was the first game of the season last year. That thought popped in his head. And sure enough, uh, Eric Sachs ended up being like a recruiting analyst for Boise State after he graduated at the end of the season. And Eric Sachs was the one that reached out to him saying, you know, hey, we have an opening. And he's like, yeah, I remember what you did, you know. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, well, well, you could be, you know, you could be me next year. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, he's going to spend his last year up here at Boise State uh, being the kicker. But Boise State, you know, as everybody knows over the years, has had their, uh, you know, issues in the kicking game, which have cost them in some pretty big games. And they, um, you know, haven't really been able to find the last couple of years that, that high school kicker that's panned out. So, they started to go the transfer route the last few years, and it's really paid off for them. It's just funny to me having guys come up from lower divisions. They've all been pretty good. It's just it's an impressive streak they're on in that regard on its own. So, it'd be yeah, definitely. I think it's four straight, four <laughs> straight transfers. I think have been their kicker, and it's uh, this will be the fourth. And it has they've all had pretty solid seasons. Uh, Hayden Hogarth had 
you know, was here yeah. two years and he had one solid season and one not so great year. But uh, Eric Sachs was everything and you could have asked for and more last year. And mm-hmm. uh, they're hoping Johnny Messina can do the same. Let's talk about the BYU game. It's at, at the start of November. How do Boise State fans, I guess Boise State as a whole, feel about that game being right in the middle of Mountain West Conference play? Yeah, there's been talk about it. I mean, uh, you know, that was a game last year that I remember circling before the season even started. I looked at the schedule and I said, they're, they, you know, they're, if they can win the BYU game, they got a chance to run the table and really make things interesting because I really thought that was going to be the game where um, it was just going to be a tricky game where they were the better team, but stuff happens down there in Provo. And sure enough, Bachmeyer was hurt and, um, you know, ended up being an amazing finish there where they almost stopped him on fourth down and got the ball back. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just kind of one of those games and it just always seems like it's that way with, you know, with, uh, BYU, they've had some amazing games, even in Boise with the field goal block on one of the last plays. And then there was still time left. And, uh, I think it was Taysom Hill at the time where you got another chance to throw another Hail Mary. And, um, it, it's just crazy all going back to think, look at all the games they've had in previous years. And so, um, I think it'll be no different. I mean, you know, they're, they're, a team, obviously, that uh, has a lot of fans here. It'll be a different feeling if there's not a packed house. I mean, they've been setting records uh, in Boise, you know, for that game in terms of the crowd every year. Every time they come here, it's always a sellout. It's a Friday night this year uh, for national TV. I believe Fox Sports 1 is going to televise it. Um, and so um, it's, it's you know, always a big game, and, and I'm sure it'll be no different this year. But, yeah, they see it as a rivalry. They see it as a big game. I don't really think they care when it is because, frankly, they kind of see BYU as a conference opponent. They play them every year. Any, they play them every year anyway, so it's not like you're playing, you know, Florida State or somebody in November. Um, so it, it's a common opponent. So they just go from, you know, San Jose State to Utah State to, you know, UNLV to BYU, just, you know, like any other team. So it's, I don't think they see it as a big difference from that standpoint. Um, but they see them as a quality team. That's where it's probably going to, you know, more times than not be a close game. And, um, you know, that's probably one where, you know, the whole pandemic thing is going to hurt it because you're not going to have that packed full house like you usually would on a, you know, an electric atmosphere on a Friday night. Which game will get a bigger crowd, do you think, the Florida State game or BYU? They're both home games, obviously. Uh, you know what? That's a good question. It would have probably been Florida State. I mean, that would have been the toughest ticket in the history of the stadium and the history of the state of Idaho, probably. I mean, they were talking about just even though it's not Florida State of old, I mean, yeah. it's pretty yeah. rare to have. I mean, it just kind of tells you where Boise State is as a program to get Florida State, you know, the Florida State Seminoles and all their national championships and everything to, to, to fly all the way to Boise, Idaho to play in a 36,000-seat stadium. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about that. And um, if that happens and they come up here, I mean, that's just really bad. Bad luck on Boise State's part because this was a great home schedule this year and they would have gotten record crowd for that game. It would have been, you know, scalpers would have been, you know, paying off their mortgages for, for that game. So, I mean, it's uh, it's disappointing from that standpoint. Um, I'll maybe say BYU, just I'd like to think later in the fall, maybe more fans are able to come back if the pandemic's getting better. Um, but who knows really what's going to happen at this point. That's a fair assessment. I completely agree with you there. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. Well, BJ, can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us once again here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. Look forward to catching up with you as this game gets a little bit closer up here in November, all right? No problem. Anytime, man. Appreciate the time, Jake.
There you have it. A big thank you to BJ Reigns from the Idaho Press Tribune for taking some time to join us here on the podcast. A fantastic conversation. Check out his work. You can check him out online. And a big thank you to him for joining us. It's just been a ton of fun to do these uh, opponent previews and have guys we've had on the podcast in the past join us because they're just great people all the way around. You can follow BJ Reigns at BJ Reigns. It's R-A-I-N-S as if it's it's raining. It's rains. You can follow him and his great work for the Idaho Press Tribune, also Blue Turf Sports, another one of the outlets he works for. He does a great job, and a big thank you for to him for joining us on today's podcast. All right, that'll do it for today's edition of the show. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow. We've still got to do a position preview this week. We've got plenty to go through this coming week. Hoping to have Caleb Lohner on the show at some point as well. So, Chasing some big names for you guys and stay with us each and every day as we talk BYU sports. Make sure to follow the show on whichever podcast provider you're listening to us on. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, just to name some of the bigger ones. But there are plenty out there. Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the show each and every day. Also follow the show on social media. Search us out at Locked on Cougars on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My personal Twitter feed is Jacob C. Hatch. If you want to follow me there and follow my work. And also feel free to email us anytime. The email address for the show is LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. Have a great rest of your day whenever you hear this. A big thank you once again for your continued patronage of this podcast. And I hope you guys are all doing well and staying safe. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for June 30th, 2020. We will talk to you tomorrow. Members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.